Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, Jamie, I want to start things out with a question for you. What can you tell me about the Pacific Crest Trail, or PCT, as it's known? Jim, it's obviously one of the most beautiful and, you know, renowned hiking trails in the Pacific Northwest. It runs 2,650 miles, give or take, from the southern border of California to the northern border of Washington. It draws, you know, just tons of hikers every year to, you know, uh, tackle the challenge of hiking either the whole PCT or as much of it as they they can or want to. Yeah. And here in Oregon, uh, I I think it's safe to say that this is the most famous trail that cuts through our state or is in our state at all. About 450-ish miles of trail uh, stretching from obviously our southern border with California up to the Columbia River. And I haven't spent really much time on the PCT at all, Jamie, other than a couple of short hikes, including one that you and I did uh, a couple of years back. That's right. I mean, I feel like if you've hiked in that part of the state at all, you've probably been on the PCT for some duration. Uh, There's a lot of really popular hikes that will dip in and out, making use of the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, but I've never done, say, like the whole Oregon stretch because that's that's quite a, a journey right there. That, 450 miles or so, that's going to take you a, a pretty good chunk of time to complete. Today on the show, we actually have a guest who has traveled the entire section of the trail here in Oregon and did it in record time this summer, just over a week and for an absolutely great cause. Emily Hellman. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Emily, we have so much that we want to ask you. And we kind of, before we were talking here on the air, we were like, well, Emily, how should we introduce you? Uh, Scrolling through your Instagram, I was like, I see lots of photos of running, skiing, biking, climbing, you name it. Is there anything outdoorsy that you're not into? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, I, well, I say that I don't love things that involve a lot of adrenaline. Like I have not done any mountain biking because that scares me. I feel like 
I, I have suffered a number of falls through trail running and the idea of adding the velocity and weight of a bike to that equation feels, um, feels very undesirable. But yeah, I, I do like to get outdoors as much as possible. And, um, I moved out to Oregon about seven years ago. I do like to spend as much time in the mountains as humanly possible. And, um, and I have found ways to do that in pretty much any condition that Oregon wants to throw at me. Well, doing the PCT certainly is going to put you in those mountains for a lot of time. Um, and Jim, you mentioned, you know, the, the time that it took Emily for you to do that, that Oregon section, the PCT a little over a week. But let's get a little specific here on this. So this is, as I understand it, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Emily, seven days, 19 hours, 23 minutes. That's right. Yeah. That's, I just want to reiterate that seven days, 19 hours and 23 minutes or just almost eight days, a little less than eight days to, to travel 450 plus miles. That is incredible <laughs> because we were talking about like doing the Timberline Trail, for example, which is a 40 mile trail and doing that in maybe, you know, four days, maybe five days. This is more than 10 times as long and you absolutely <laughs> crushed that. So. I'm just kind of in awe of that in and of itself. Um, but I know that there was a lot more to your trip than just setting a really fast time. Is that right? Yeah, I I decided to do this run back in January. I mean, I've thought about this run really for several years. I remember hearing about it back in 2013 when Brian Donnelly, who's a great Portland runner, um, did it in a self-supported style and set what, um, what had been the FKT and had withstood several years, um, and remained the FKT. And when he did it, I, I was very intrigued by the idea, but, uh, but was also aware that it was an extraordinarily massive undertaking, um, both physically and mentally. And then also obviously logistically to figure out mm-hmm. how to cover that much ground and not that much time. Um, but then I, um, I lost my mother in January to, um, a rare uterine cancer. And, um, my mom was just an extraordinary woman and athlete. And she lived in such a wholehearted and brave way in, in so many different ways. Um, she, she's actually the reason that I got into running in the first place. She did her first marathon at the age of 50, which is just incredible. And when you watch your mother do that, it's hard not to um, be inspired to get into the sport yourself. Um, and she learned how to swim so that she could do her first triathlon at the age of 60, which was also remarkable. Um, she went skydiving for her 60th birthday. Uh, and then after she was diagnosed with cancer, she she just continued to live in in such a an extraordinary way that was so inspiring. She really refused to let the darkness of cancer define her life. And she continued to stay really active and live with a lot of joy, despite facing a really grim and hard diagnosis. And, and when she passed away, I really felt moved to want to do something um, in that same spirit, to want to do something bold and brave in her honor and, um, and running across Oregon and going for the fastest time felt like it could be that thing. Um, and so I, yeah, I decided to do the run this winter. Um, and, and, and then, yeah, did it. (laughs) Your mom sounds like an incredible woman and an inspiration, uh, to you. And I'm, I'm sure many others in this 
run, you also raised money, uh, quite a bit of money for yeah. a foundation as well. Can you let us in a little bit on yeah. uh, what you what you set out to do and what you accomplished there? Definitely, yeah. So um, pretty immediately after deciding that I wanted to do this run in honor of my mom and to celebrate her life, um, I also decided that I wanted to raise money for the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, um, which was started by Gabe Grunewald. Um, I actually don't know when, but um, Gabe was an extra, also an extraordinary, extraordinary woman and athlete. She was a professional track runner and she lived with cancer for about 10 years before passing away in the summer of 2019. Um, and she was in her early thirties. Um, and she, you know, similarly to my mom, like really continued to live in a really wholehearted and in inspirational way. And she started this foundation to, support rare cancer research is rare cancer definitely um, suffers from less information and, and less treatment options than other forms of cancer. And so when my mom passed away, I decided that it would make sense to also turn this run into a platform to try and raise money for this foundation and, um, and raise support for rare cancer research so that other people living with rare cancer can have more options and more hope for treatment. And, and speaking to the, I guess, what, uh, what happened through the run, it, it was such a moving, moving amount of support. Um, I, when I announced that I was raising money through this run, um, I set the goal of raising $4,530 because that matched what I thought was the trail mileage of 453 of the Pacific Crest Trail stretch across Oregon. And I thought that that was like, a reach goal that there was no way. And I was going to be embarrassed by how little money it is compared to this goal, but I wanted to go for it anyway. Um, and then the amount of support from people just blew me out of the water and was so touching. Um, I, before I even started the run, I think I hit that goal on like hour 10 of fundraising. And before I started the run, I think it had risen to like $10,000, um, which was again, just blew me away. And I didn't even know what to announce as my next goal. Um, but by the time the run was over, it had reached almost 30,000 and, and now it has surpassed $33,000, which is, is just incredible. And, um, and I think like you said, it speaks to how many people were touched and inspired by my mom, by Gabe, and, and unfortunately also how many people um, have experienced cancer in, in really hard ways. I imagine having that fundraising goal met even before you leave home has got to feel really good in terms of motivation and in terms of getting you out there. I want to talk a little bit about the logistics of doing this run because, I mean, we're talking about a, a really massive undertaking, I'd imagine, preparing yourself um, with supplies and all of that. So, you know, what does the work look like going into just to prepare yourself um, to get together to do an, an excursion like this? Yeah, it was pretty daunting, maybe more daunting than actually doing the run. Um, I'm not a huge planner. And so, um, but you have to be, you just can't approach a 460 mile trek without doing some planning. You had to, I mean, there was obviously the physical preparation, which involved just running a lot and, and doing things that, um, that put you in the situation of running through fatigue and running through challenges and, and hardening your mental fortitude as well. And then on the logistical side, um, you know, I had a, a spreadsheet going into the run and it covered everything from 
my mileage plan for each day to road intersections where I did this in a supported style. So I had a crew. Um, so planning out where my crew could meet me with support, figuring out where we were going to sleep each night, figuring out all the backup plans, where resupply options were, where like various lifelines for whatever support I might need were, calculating the climbing each day, the food plans, the gear list. I had to buy gear I'd never anticipated needing for a run, borrowing gear. Um, yeah, there was, it was, and then Matt, I also was paced for the run. I had a lot of friends come out and pace me for various sections. So figuring out how to um, have those people plug in and and then also like factoring in all the COVID precautions for things. Um, so it was, there was, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of planning that, that uh, allowed this run to happen. I can only imagine, especially for a non-planner firing up the spreadsheet. Oh, uh, I hated doesn't, it. Doesn't feel great. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> so did you have it mapped out as specifically of, you know, exactly where you're going to sleep each night? Or what was the logistical challenge there? Yeah, I did. I mean, I had a goal for where I was going to mm. sleep each night. Um, and remarkably, we stayed pretty on schedule until the sixth day I got off by about five or six miles. And so we adjusted that night and the next night where we planned on sleeping. But, um, but otherwise we, yeah, we adhered to the plan, but yeah, so it was figuring out, I mean, I guess like a nice thing about planning the, uh, both a, a blessing and a curse of planning out what support looks like on this trail is you're really limited by road intersections. They, they really dictate where you're going to do things like sleep, unless you were to do it in a hybrid way in which you're like also kind of fast packing and getting support along the way, which I wasn't doing. So, um, so I only had so many options for where I would sleep each night. But, um, yeah. but we, I did try and plan that out. So run us through a, a day on the trail. What, what does it look like for you waking up, getting on the trail, that experience of, you know, day after day um, being out there? What, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely, it felt like while I was out there that, that, that was my life. My life was just being on the trail, which I think is how, what I understand, like a through hike. I haven't done any through hiking, but what that would also feel like. Um, so generally a day I would, I would wake up after entirely too few hours of sleep. Um, and well before I wanted to, uh, it would generally take me longer than I hoped to get going in the morning. Um, there's just all kinds of things you have to, do to prepare yourself to run, whether there was a lot of foot care, like dealing with blisters or blister prevention, um, and gear stuffing into packs, food stuff. Um, and, and then, uh, generally the, the bookends of the day were not my favorite. I usually finished feeling very pummeled by the volume of running. My daily average, I think was about 58 miles a day. Um, most days felt like they were about 60 miles. And, um, and then when I woke up in the morning, I generally felt terrible and it would be like a physical hardship to walk into the woods, to go to the bathroom. And so I would be very overwhelmed by the idea of getting out on trail and covering another 60 miles of ground. But once I was out on the trail, I almost always immediately felt rejuvenated by being back out on the trail. And generally I felt much better running than I expected to. And, um, and then, of course, like you said, the Pacific Crest Trail is is just a remarkable trail, and um, and every day had some extraordinarily exciting and beautiful landscape 
that we were traveling through. Um, I actually had a column on my spreadsheet that was like exciting landmarks. And, <laughs> and, and there were always several that, that I would pass by. Um, and, and yeah, so the, the day usually felt like it was split up between where I would see my crew, where the trail intersected with road intersections, which sometimes was every like 15 miles and sometimes wouldn't be for as many as 40 miles. I generally had a different pacer every day. I had people pacing me anywhere from like three miles to 60 miles. And so there was a rotation of um, different energy and friends. And I think one of my favorite contrasts of of pacers was my friend Danielle paced me on, um, on days two and three. She took some sections and Danielle actually established the women's record last summer. Um, and we have since become very good friends and she supported me in my quest for the record, which was awesome. And Danielle, when she did the trail, she listened to romance novels a lot, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and I have, I don't have a lot of experience listening to or reading romance novels. And so I was really hoping she would come to the trail with some romance novels downloaded to play for me, but she hadn't. And so when I realized, when she informed me of her lack of romance novels, I demanded that she tell me a romance story instead. <laughs> so <laughs> she like made up this romance story as we were walking through the, it was also at like, 11 p.m. at night in a dark burn zone and she was telling me a romance story and then the next day I was paced by my good friend Daniel and Daniel has a toddler at home and unprompted he started seeing if he could recite various children's books <laughs> aloud <laughs> and so I went from romance stories to children's books um but but as far as the trail too you know it's it, in addition to having the exciting landmarks one of the um one of the both encouraging and discouraging things about the Oregon PCT and trying to cover all of it in a in less than eight days is that um, you see where you're going and where you've been a lot, and so you're you're often reaching these like expansive viewpoints of the horizon, and you can see like the mountain that you're going to travel past that day, and it looks just so far away. Um, but then you like somehow step-by-step step reach it and then you get on the other side of it and you look back and you see where you've come from, which is so ex encouraging and exciting. Um, so there was a lot of that every day too, of being painfully aware of how far I had to go, but then also being really buoyed by seeing my progress and thinking about how cool it was to be traveling across the entire state through such remarkable wilderness um, on foot. Oh yeah. I mean, coming from the California border, working your way up, you know, through the gorgeous forests, through the mountains, uh, eventually to the Columbia River. I mean, remarkable landscapes throughout. Uh, I wanted to pause on a, a couple of uh, things before we keep moving here. You talked about support and you referenced uh, the acronym FKT. Uh, for, for the uninitiated, what is an FKT and what does it mean specifically to have support for an endeavor like this? Yeah. So an FKT um, is an acronym for fastest known time, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's the, um, the quickest someone has traveled a, any given trail. Um, it's, it has become, it has exploded during the pandemic because trail runners have been unable to do races. And so, um, many more than normal are chasing these FKTs to do something to, to test their endurance and speed and performance, um, on trails. 
And there's an FKT for all kinds of routes all over the world. Um, so the PCT has FKTs for both the entire PCT and then um, also for Washington and for Oregon. I don't know if there's one across California, actually, but I'm sure there probably is. Um, and um, and what was your, sorry, what was the second part of your question? Yeah, and, and, and the support. So you had oh, folks meeting up mm-hmm. with you and you weren't carrying like what a backpacker would, carrying all your stuff. You're meeting up with a support vehicle friends who are they've got all your stuff right yeah Uh, you Mm -hmm. might be wearing like a running vest or something like that so i chose to do it in a supported style there are three categories unsupported self-supported and supported unsupported means you um can only use what you start with um and self-supported means you can you know like resupply or acquire Mm -hmm. things along the way and then supported there's like really no limits to the amount of support i mean you have to do everything by yourself but you can be paced you can be crude um you can have all, all kinds of support. And, and I definitely did it in, in an incredibly well-supported way. Cause I, when I was running, I generally wasn't carrying anything more than, than a running vest. And, um, and every day I would see my crew at some point. And so I only needed to carry enough for maybe 30 miles at a time. Emily, after going through all of these, you know, hundreds of miles of, of running and seeing all of this, you know, just expansive beauty, what did it feel like when you finally crossed the border from Oregon to Washington on the Bridge of the Gods and reached your finish line there? Oh, it felt so many different things. Um, it, I mean, it. The last day was um, was also so many different things. It was so hard. You would think that at some point after running seven straight days of sixty-ish miles a day, that within the last day of doing it, it would it would start to feel like you were almost there. And and that just wasn't true. <laughs> it just never felt like I was almost there. It was a really hard day. Um, I, my last stop where I saw crew was at Wadham Lake um, in the gorge, which I think is about 16 miles from the bridge of the gods where the, the border is. And everyone there was like, you're almost there. You're like so close. And it just, to me, it felt like I had to run all the way back to California. The distance felt so massive. Um, and just cause at that point you're, you, I just was, I was so tired. I was so beat up. I had some shin pain that was really bothering me. And, and so I, I just really wanted to be done. So to finally see the, I finished at about midnight and I had a lot of friends had come to cheer me on at the finish, some that I knew would be there and others who surprised me. And so I started seeing the headlamps of all these people who were in this big line leading up to the bridge. And I was such this like, heartwarming relief to see, to finally see the bridge and to be surrounded by so much love. I also, on that last day, um, I had announced at the beginning of the day on my Instagram that, um, that I was going for the overall FKT, which I hadn't really publicly shared yet. Um, and I asked if people could help me get there with donations to Brave Like Gabe. And, and in that one day alone, I think the day started at about 14,000 for Brave Like Gabe. And by the time I reached the bridge, um, it was at about 28 or 29,000. And so it was just this incredible momentum of support for Brave Like Gabe. And, and I had been getting updates from about that from my crew all day. I had sometimes been checking my phone, which I don't ever do when I'm like on a wilderness trail, but I had been. And I was, I was just feeling this like just amazing, beautiful amount of support for that. As I got to the finish, I was of course thinking about my mom and, and both this like 
really beautiful way and this really hard way where like this was the hardest thing I'd ever done, the most remarkable thing I'd ever done. And all I wanted to do was call her and tell her about it. And, um, and, and then finally reaching the bridge, it was, yeah, it was, um, it was unbelievable. It was, um, it was a relief. It was, um, it was the culmination of a lot of, um, hard work and, and a lot of challenges. And, um, and also I got there with a lot of love and support, um, both, you know, physically there with me and also from, from all of these people all over who were supporting Brave Like Gabe and remembering my mom with me in this really beautiful way. And uh, it was just, it was, it was a really emotional uh, to reach the finish. Wow. Uh, what a amazing confluence of emotion there. I, I mean, sounds incredibly intense, rewarding, touching, sad, all of it, all in one. And a relief, too, because relief uh, too. you made it and you became the fastest person ever in any capacity, supported or otherwise, to traverse the length of the PCT in Oregon. Pretty impressive feat, Emily. I, I have to say hats off. Hats off to you here. Uh, all of my hats. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a remarkable deal. Emily, we want to hear a little bit more about your run, including some of your favorite moments on the trail. But first, we're going to take a short break. Okay, folks, we are back with Emily Hellman talking about her record-setting run on the Pacific Crest Trail traversing Oregon this summer. But, Emily, we haven't hit one of the most important questions. What was your favorite part uh, or favorite place on the PCT? I feel like that's uh, an impossible question to answer because I mean, I'll I'll circle back to like the spreadsheet column of exciting landmarks and there was never a day without them. Um, I I mean, one of my favorite days was my fourth day, which, um, which for me was my halfway point, um, a little bit past my halfway point. And that day, um, it was also my shortest day, which is probably not unrelated to it being my favorite day. Uh, it was, I think about 48 miles from start to finish. And, um, and it was the section of trail that is closest to Eugene, which is where I live. Um, so it's a very familiar stretch of trail. It's also very beautiful. We went through the diamond peak wilderness, um, and then into like the Waldo Lake area. Um, and I feel like that is a really underrated section of trail, but it's, um, it's stunning. Um, and it also, for me, was full of, um, really remarkable support because it was close to Eugene, um, a lot of my Eugene running friends came out and plugged in in various ways. Um, two of my friends split the day for pacing duties. So I started with my friend Daniel and his um, recitation of children's books. And then <laughs> uh, my friend Justin ran me into the end of the day. And then I also had some friends just surprise me in various ways. I had a couple of friends hike in um, with some trail magic, which was uh, Dairy Queen hot dogs and French fries and a Powerade that was still cold because they had frozen it the night before to allow it to maintain its like delicious coldness on a really hot summer day. And then I finished uh, at this lake near Waldo Lake and I had some friends who were waiting there to like grill me dinner. It was the one time I had a beer all trip, um, which was wonderful. Uh, and yeah, it was just, it was, I, 
that it, again, it's like impossible to pick a favorite day based on the scenery of Oregon because it's all stunning, but that definitely stands out as, as one of my favorite days on trail. I imagine that that cold beer was really, really nice on a hot oh, day after it, doing all of that miles. It was honestly, I don't know if it was as nice as the cold Powerade, which I would never <laughs> anticipate saying, but, um, but it was, it, it felt good to finish a day and want a beer to finish a day in daylight and have time to like sit and enjoy a beer with friends. That was a really like spirit boosting <laughs> evening for me. Well, for, for people who maybe want to consider doing a similar kind of experience or, you know, some kind of similar big trip, do you have any kind of advice for, for folks who maybe want to follow in your footsteps to some degree? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most helpful things that I did was to talk to people who had done similar things. Um, for me, Danielle Snyder, who I mentioned before, who had done the run herself the summer before was just full of good advice for things. I never would have anticipated like um, your feet swell when you do eight straight days of big miles. And so I had to buy and, and pack shoes that are a bigger size than I normally wear. And I wore those almost the entire time. Silly little things like that, that you might not think of, I think are helpful to, um, to kind of crowdsource that information. I also would say like, it just, and this is, I guess, less logistical, but definitely advice to if there is a big thing that you're, dreaming about it all to, to just do it. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that really pushed me into wanting to do this run, um, it obviously was inspired by my mom and, you know, losing people to cancer. I mean, losing people in general, but losing people so many years before you expect to lose them really, um, makes you appreciate the fragility of life and appreciate the, the need to, to do things that you want to do while you can. And my mom lived in that way. She, like I said, she was lived in a very wholehearted way and she did, she wanted to do something. She did it. And I felt really grateful for that when, when we did lose her, when she was so young. Um, and I think also like coming off of the fire season and seeing how fragile our wilderness is, especially as the climate changes that like I, one of my days on trail, um, was super, super stormy. And that was the day that we went through the Mount Jefferson wilderness. And I haven't spent a lot of time in Mount Jefferson. I know that it's stunning and that's such a mistake. Um, and on that day when it was stormy, we like really couldn't see anything. And I was like, it's fine. Like I can always come back. And like, you know, a lot of that area was, was just scorched in this fire season. And so I think like, that's my maybe most, most loud advice that I would want to share is if you're thinking about doing something big and it's, it's exciting to you, like get out and do it. I love that. That's great advice for anyone planning anything, whatever it might be, whatever it is. Yeah. Get after it. No better time than now. I suppose for some things there is because COVID and so on and so forth, but uh, for the things you can pull off, do them now. So Emily, before we let you go, uh, how can folks follow along with your adventures and maybe learn a little bit more about the Brave Like Gabe Foundation? Yeah, um, I can be found on the internet at Emily Sweats on pretty much any platform. I guess Twitter, or Instagram are the primary ones that I use. And the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, I, I definitely have linked through a lot of stuff that I have. I guess I also have a website that has Brave Like Gabe Foundation information on it, which is just emilyhelman.com. And the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, I, I would definitely encourage folks to um, to look it up. And if you are so moved to donate to Brave Like Gabe, you can definitely do it. My GoFundMe is still live and um, and that is linked on my 
on my Instagram right now, I believe. So that URL for Brave Like Gabe is just bravelikegabe.org. There you go. All right. Well, all that said, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this goodness about your run and, of course, your fundraising efforts and everything. It's been inspiring to hear from you today. Thanks for having me. It was fun to chat about it. Jim, I don't know about you, but I am definitely feeling inspired to go tackle the Pacific Crest Trail, though I don't think I'm going to do it in seven and a half days. <laughs> I think I might take like a solid like 30 days, maybe a good month to uh, hike the whole thing in Oregon. Yeah, that that sounds like a sabbatical length uh, or <laughs> exactly. all your PTO uh, <laughs> right there. Just say, folks, next summer I am out. Someone else can handle the travel coverage. Someone else can handle the podcast. <laughs> I'm right. on the PCT. See ya. I can I can record podcasts while I'm out there, Jim. We Ooh, should do we that. Go. We should go out there and do a series of podcasts in the PCT. You know, we did talk at one point about going out in nature and doing some recording while we're out there, you and I. And we've never made that happen. Uh, maybe this is a good prompt, Jamie. I think so. We'll have to talk to our bosses and see if they can uh, spare us for a month. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bosses. Pressure's on. Pressure's on. Uh, you've got a request coming here. But anyhow, folks, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold your breath on the month long PCT effort, but uh, we will be back, of course, with more episodes here from our respective closets in Portland. And until next time, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details about that, of course, on OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the podcast was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Elliot Noose. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.